Hey, good to be with you. I'm Ben Mendrell, and one of my great passions in life is to teach the Bible. And so if you brought the Bible, I'd like to ask you to open to 2 Timothy is where we're going to be today. But while you're doing that, I just want to share a couple things about Lifeway. Thank you for supporting Lifeway. Those of you who support us and buy our Bibles and Bible studies and send your kids to huge camps and uh, do VBS and all the things that we do, we are the toolbox of the church, and uh, we love being partners with churches like yours. I, I get handed all this free stuff as president of Lifeway. And so I have all kinds of stuff on my shelf that I don't have the time to read. So I love giving it away. So at the end of the service, if you'd like a free resource, I have two excellent studies for teen girls, a men's devotional, and then the new book by Jackie Hill Perry. That's one of the top sellers of the year in the Christian category. So if you're looking for a new resource, uh, I'm going to put this right down here. And afterwards, come up and uh, take a look at one of those books. Well, uh, Lifeway has been an interesting journey. I've been there two years. Uh, I got there five months before COVID hit, which is a great timing, by the way. And not only understood that Lifeway had to go through a pretty radical transformation as an organization. We had just exited the bookstores, and I know that was a painful move, not only for us, but for you. But the, the math just wouldn't work. And so we knew that in order to make these resources available to the church in the future, we had to move our business online. So we've spent the better part of two years just trying to dramatically improve the customer service on the website. And we've we've made big strides. But over the next year or two, you're going to see huge improvements even to that. One of the things that's coming out soon is a virtual online Bible bookstore. And you can see some of those features now, but you'll be able to do everything but smell the Bible. And I know that's one of the things you miss the most about LifeWay stores, being able to go in and feel Bibles and figure out which one is right for you. But our technology people are doing an incredible job, and I hope that you'll be encouraged uh, in the years to come as you see improvements on LifeWay.com. Uh, one of the most exciting things I do want to tell you about is my wife and I, we started a podcast this year called The Glass House. And the point of the podcast is to encourage pastors and their wives or church leaders and their wives because... I don't know if you're aware of this, but many people serving in ministry are struggling. Uh, COVID has been a difficult season for people who work in the church emotionally. And they've walked through sadness and hurt and grief, all those things that we do. And the Glass House was designed really to interview pastors and wives on some of their own emotional challenges. For example, we we interviewed one couple that uh, he has a struggle with anxiety. And as a pastor, he struggles with anxiety. He's going to be open about that and what he learned, what he's learned about God through his struggle with anxiety. So I want I just want to encourage you, if you're looking for a resource, some conversations, maybe you're struggling emotionally. uh, The Glass House podcast is available on any anywhere you get podcasts. And we'd love to point you there uh, as well. I will never forget the first time I touched an electric fence. I was in the front seat of a pickup truck. I was not from a farming home, but I was working one day with a farmer and he told me to get out, open the gate so the truck could pull through. And I didn't know what I was doing. So as I moved the gate backwards, my arm brushed up against the wire that represented the electric fence. As as this happened, any sleep from my eyes that was left there was vanished. And I experienced in that moment what you might call revival of my soul. When that electricity went running through my body, the psalmist writes this, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. That electric feeling that I had in my body physically that day, the Bible says of itself that those who engage with scripture will have moments like that where scripture electrifies the soul. And if you have any history with reading the Bible, you know, this is true. 
it would not be fair or representative of reality to say that every time that you're in the Bible or every quiet time is a grand slam. But you know that if you've read scripture, there are those moments that were for whatever reason, the right word at the right time is like apples of gold and setting of silver. And so what I love about what we do at Lifeway is we provide resources for people who are looking for a word from God. J.B. Phillips once wrote a paraphrase of the entire New Testament, which meant he was working with the actual biblical text every day, like a mechanic works with grease or a painter works with paint. And so he was just immersed in scripture. And when he had finished this paraphrase translation, he wrote in the preface of the book these words. And I've never forgotten this. He writes, and I'll put this on the screen. The present translator is continually struck by the living quality of the material on which he is working. Some will no doubt consider it merely superstitious reverence of holy writ. Yet again, the writer felt rather like an electrician, re, electrician that was uh, working, rewiring an ancient house without being able to turn the mains off. And so it, this is this is a, an experience that he had of not being able to kind of turn the mains off of Scripture And the reason that I want to preach on this subject today, I I want to ask for permission to be unimpressive today. (laughs) I think every time I preach at a church, there's always this desire for people to walk out and say, I've never heard anyone put it like that before. But so much of teaching the Bible is simply reminding people of important truths that they've forgotten. And so in the, the book of Second Timothy today. We're going to look at a passage that talks about how important it is for you and I to regularly remain in Scripture. And the reason I want to preach on this is this has been one of the greatest struggles of my life over the last two years since coming to Lifeway. When I was a pastor for 17 years, every week I was in sermon preparation, so I was naturally tethered to Scripture. But it's been surprising to me how quickly I've drifted away from the Word. I run a company that creates Bibles. And so if it's that easy for me to stray and drift away from Scripture, I know it's that easy for you as well. It's interesting how in the book of Ephesians, Paul challenges every Christian to put on the full armor of God. And he lists all these different pieces of the armor. Most are defensive weapons, whether it's the breastplate of righteousness or the shield of faith. But there's only one offensive weapon listed. It is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And the actual words there for sword of the spirit represents not a long sword that you could swing and hit your enemy, but a small dagger that requires precision and skill. And what Paul is saying to us, if we're going to survive in a very dark world, we need to learn how to wield the sword of the spirit with precision and with skill. So when our day of temptation comes and it will come when we are tempted to lust, we remember the words of Jesus. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, any man who looks upon a woman lustfully has committed adultery in his heart. We need that word in that moment. Or when we're tempted to be greedy, no man can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. We need, we need that word in that moment. And as we learn the Bible and immerse ourselves in it, we are able to have it on uh, right there at our fingertips. D.L. Moody was a famous evangelist. I'm going to share this somewhere and jump into Second Timothy. But he was a famous evangelist uh, many years ago. And there was a there was a well-known doctor that went to hear him preach. He went there with the intention of making a mockery of Moody. But this is this is what he said when he left. He said, I knew that Moody was not a scholar and felt sure I could find many flaws in his argument. But I found that I could not get at the man. 
He just fired one Bible text after another at me until they went home to my heart straight as bullets from a rifle. I tell you, Moody's power is in the way he has his Bible at the tip of his tongue. I was convicted when I read that recently. All of us need to have Scripture, the Bible, at the tip of our tongue. And so I want to take you to 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. What Paul is doing in this text is he's reminding a young pastor, Timothy, that if he's going to survive in this life and in his ministry, he will have to keep returning again and again to the power of Scripture. And so he writes these words, beginning with verse 14. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture, and this is a well-known passage, it's very important though. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable, or you might even say useful, for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And the way I like to think about this passage is that there's there's six reasons that Paul says that you must keep planting the seed of God in your heart. If you had a jar of seeds in your hand today and you were to look at those jar of seeds, you would not see power. You would not see anything happening with those seeds. It takes the right environment, it takes water, it takes uh, the right soil. But with the right conditions, those seeds not only begin to grow, but to grow into something powerful. And Paul says, if you want to plant power in your life, you've got to keep planting scripture in your life. And here's six reasons why you're going to do it, why you need to do it. So in number one, he says this, uh, you should study your Bible because it has the power to save your soul and open your heart. Verse 15, from infancy, you've known the scriptures which are able to make you wise. They're able to make you wise for salvation through faith. I think it's interesting to know Timothy's background. Uh, All all of you who may be single mothers in the room. Uh, Timothy had no godly father in his life. He was largely raised, especially spiritually, by his mother and his grandmother. They not only spoon fed him from the table, but they were the ones that were responsible for feeding him spiritual truth from a young age. And he not only become a, became a, a powerful man, but a powerful pastor in the early church. Now, he struggled. Even if, as you read the letters that Paul writes to Timothy, Timothy struggled like everyone. Uh, Paul had to say to him, uh, stop letting people look down on you because you're young. But set an example for them. In other places in the Bible, uh, it, it seems to state that Timothy had a struggle with anxiety because Paul says, hey, settle your stomach down by drinking a little wine. The water of that day was troubling his stomach on top of his anxiety. So we have clues from the Bible that Timothy was not a rock like Paul was a rock. And so how does Timothy respond to that? Paul says, you will be fine as long as you keep growing spiritually. And that's, I think, a word. It's so simple and basic, but I think God would say that to us today. You're going to be fine as long as you keep growing spiritually throughout your entire life. But we forget that. One of the things I love about being on Facebook, I know there's a lot of challenges associated with social media. But one of the things I love is that little feature when you pull it up in the morning. It says, seven years ago, this is what you posted. And this week, I had one of those moments. Uh, My kids are huge now. They're all teenagers. But this picture showed up when they were tiny. And they... I I used to hold them and pick them up and they were sledding in Colorado that day. And 
Uh, a couple of them are missing many of their teeth that haven't came in. And I just I, re- I look back on these moments and I just remember like how little they were. I also remember in this moment what it was like to be a dad of four preschoolers because we had our kids. Uh, we had four in 48 months, fast and furious. And so when they were little, it was physically exhausting. I remember thinking, when are they going to be able to get into the car by themselves? Uh, when are they going to wash their own hair? Uh, and then one day I was taking apart cribs and sippy cups were gone. And it was just just like that. It was over. But one of the things that parents do in those years is they put children up next to a, a line and they draw a little line over their head. And every year they do this growth chart thing. And it's kind of fun, even though you can't see them growing every day, year by year, you can see the growth. And I was thinking about this as Paul, as Paul says to Timothy, hey, from from the time you were a young boy, you've been growing spiritually. Don't forget that. I just wonder if God put you up right now on a spiritual growth chart. What's the last year look like for you? What's the last two years look like for you? Is that is that question convicting to you? Have you been steadily growing spiritually? The scriptures are able to make you grow from infancy. You've known the scriptures wise into salvation. The second thing he says is uh, read the Bible throughout your life because it contains the authority of God, the weight of God. Notice in verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God. Another translation says all scripture is God breathed. God is literally breathing on you when you take in scripture. And so I think we all recognize this. The Bible is not like any other book on the shelf. We at Lifeway, we get the the pleasure of partnering with authors who write unbelievable books. And I read them and they benefit my life. But there is no book like the power of the Bible. There is a difference between Matthew and Max Lucado. There's a difference between First Kings and Karen Kingsbury. And even though those books are helpful, there is no substitute for regularly engaging with Scripture. So I didn't grow up in a church home. Uh, my parents were not churchgoers. They became churchgoers. But my story goes like this, uh, going back to someone who shared the gospel. When I was a little boy, around the age of seven, I got invi- invited to a birthday party for Jesus in my local community. This elderly lady told everyone that she was making cake, and I was going to that. And so we crowded into her home, and she said that she made a cake because it was a birthday party for someone named Jesus. And then she sat us all down while we ate cake and she explained that Jesus came to earth to save us all from our sins and that he wanted to save anyone who would give their life to him. And then she so boldly had every kid, you know, in classic evangelist style, close their eyes and ask if anyone wanted to pray to receive Jesus. And in that moment, I wanted to. And so I lifted my hand and I gave my life to Jesus. And when it was over... Uh, she dismissed the class and I went straight for the door and she grabbed my neck. (laughs) And she said, young man, I saw you raise your hand. And she proceeded to share with me what it meant to follow Jesus. And I went home to my parents who are not churchgoers and said, as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. (laughs) I didn't say it just like that. But I did tell them that I became a Christian. And they had all kinds of questions for me. Who is this lady and why did she share the gospel with me? And we ended up as a family uh, attending church. And the craziest thing happened in my life. To this day, I still have no explanation for it. 
I started reading the Bible every night before I went to bed. I would read one page of the Bible. I would not turn off the lights. If I got into my bed and had turned off the lights, I got back up and I read one page of the Bible every night before I went to bed. And that simple practice of just sipping in a little spiritual water gave me a growing passion for God's word. Little did I know that God was preparing me to be a preacher and a pastor. But it was that simple daily practice. And how easy is it? I mean, it's so easy as Christians to feel like we graduate from the need for that. It contains the weight and the authority of God. Second Peter chapter one says, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And there's no other book that's so filled with the Holy Spirit, God's voice, God's authority like the Bible. Number three, the Bible will teach you how to live. It is useful, it says, for teaching. So when Proverbs three, five and six says that we should trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not on our own understanding, How do we do that practically? It's useful for teaching us how to make important decisions in our lives. You know, I think I think about the Bible a little bit like um, like baseball. Uh, My son's uh, my family's a huge Braves fan now that we moved back. It's been a good year. Um, One of the things I've noticed about baseball is that the base runner often likes to lead off first base. Take a couple of steps off first base. And that's, that's a way to get a jump for the steal to second. But if he gets a little too far off first base, he gets picked off. And I've noticed the tendency, and not only in my life, but many people's lives, is, is that if the Bible is here, we tend to, we tend to get, a, we sort of kind of lead off. And in certain seasons of our life, if we're honest, we, we get away from it. And, and what's dangerous is that sometimes those are the seasons where we need to be hearing God's voice the most as we make critical decisions for our lives. And so you might be in a season right now where you are, you're getting ready to make a major decision in your life. And it's a dangerous thing to lean on your own understanding and not be in communication with God about that. Uh, my daughter is 17. She's looking at colleges. And so even on the way here, she was reading off uh, the notes from a virtual tour of a college that she had recently attended because they're doing a lot of virtual tours. And I used to judge parents who were kind of whiny about their kids going off to school. Like, get over it. You raise them to release them. I'm really changing my tune on that now. <laughs> uh, it's it's really kind of sad to think about what it's going to be like to not have like all four of my kids under my own roof. And some of you are laughing at me because you've already been through this. And I don't want to be that embarrassing parent that like weeps at the dormitory. But it's, it's, it's going to happen. But I am I'm worried for her because I know how big this uh, decision is for her. I know how heavily it weighs on her. And one of the things that the Lord tells us to do in those moments, in those seasons, is to just make sure that we're regularly praying and reading Scripture together. So you might be uh, struggling with a decision in your life. The Bible says, hey, it's, it's useful for teaching. It will teach you how to live. The most difficult decisions in life are not right from wrong, in my opinion. The most difficult decisions in life are right from left. And those are the moments when we need to be hearing from God. So are you worried about something? Are you burdened about something? Have you been struggling on what to do with the situation? Uh, it's, it's just pure, basic Christianity. Spend more time in the Bible. Commit to spending more time in the Bible. Number four, 
The Bible will tell you what your heart looks like. It's useful for rebuking. I, I just even hate the word rebuking, don't you? No one likes to be rebuked. Here's what rebuking means. Quote, it's an expression of sharp disapproval. And when we read scripture, you're going to experience moments where God expresses through his spirit sharp disapproval of your attitude. The old Zig Ziglar used to say, sometimes we all need a checkup from the neck up, an attitude adjustment. And the Bible has a way of adjusting our attitude and expressing to us the x-ray of what we look like from the inside. Some of the most terrifying passages for me regarding Jesus is that when he meets people, it often says, and he knew what was in the heart of the man. And so when we read the Bible, we are committed ourselves to a book that it says of itself that it will judge the thoughts and the attitudes of your heart. It will say things to you you do not want to hear. It will convict you of things you do not want to be convicted, convicted about. But it will keep you clean. And it will keep you pure. When I was uh, going through a season of uh, having four little kids, you know, Discipline is a much bigger part of life at that season of parenting. And I remember a day when I disciplined my kids in the wrong spirit. Uh, I was reading the Bible and I was reading through the fruits of the Holy Spirit in devotional. And one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control. And immediately when I read and the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control, the Holy Spirit laid upon my heart a picture or a video of a scene from my life where my kids were being too loud. And I got up off the couch and I snapped and I gripped my teeth, I gritted my teeth and I went to approach one of my children. And, and my son looked at me and he I remember he closed his eyes and he winced. He was expecting me to hurt him because all of my body language was expressing that. And the Holy Spirit not only convicted me for, uh, that's not, that's not self-control. You know, discipline doesn't have to be ungodly anger. It can be controlled. But not only that, I was reminded of how, how will I say to my son that he must not snap on his coach when he's put on the bench if I can't demonstrate that same kind of control in my own life? I heard it said when I was a kid that sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. And when you're reading the Bible on a regular basis, it just often cuts you in the places you don't want to be cut. And so this is why Paul says to Timothy that we should continue to read scripture. It's useful for rebuking. Which of us is not convicted when we read Ephesians 4.32? Forgive other people just as God has forgiven you. Who's not convicted just hearing that? Which of us is not convicted when we hear Philippians chapter 2, which says, uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider other people greater than yourselves? We're all convicted. And so that conviction, that rebuke is a big part of what the Bible does to us. When I was a pastor in Denver, um, part of my story is that we, we led a church in West Tennessee for 12 years, and then God called our family to uproot, move a 1,000 miles west, and start a church from scratch in Denver, Colorado, which we did in 2013. And while I was there, uh, I was preaching one Sunday, and a man got so offended by one of the illustrations that I shared that he left the church, and I got wind about it. He was not coming back. He was upset about something I said in my sermon, so I called him. And I said, hey, man, I, I heard that I said something in the sermon that offended you and you're not coming back to church. What's going on? 
And he began to share with me what was going on in his life. And he couldn't believe that I would expose that and tell that story publicly uh, that that condemned him. The story was not about him whatsoever. He was just deeply convicted by it. And this people have if you preach the Bible, loudly, people probably say this to you. They'll come up to you and say, are you bugging my house? Have you been listening to conversations in my home? Because when the Bible is preached, and I've watched this over the last 20 years of my life, is it has a way of applying itself in your individual life that's personal and uncomfortable. This is a part of what Scripture says of itself, that it will continue to to bring conviction upon us. Job prayed this in chapter 34, verse 32 of Job. Teach me what I cannot see, God. If I've done any wrong, I will not do so again. That's why we need scripture regularly speaking in our lives. Reason number five, the Bible will set you straight. It's useful for correcting. Scholars note that in Greeks, uh, the Greek literature of Paul's day, that word for correcting was a description of a statue who had fallen on its face. And so what happens to a statue that falls on its face? It has to be set back up again. The Bible will have a way of setting you back up again. So there's no question in life that you are going to fail and you are going to fall and you are going to walk through valleys in life. If you're a human being, there's no way to get out of that. You're going to make miserable decisions in your life at times and you're going to fall flat on your face. There is nothing that will set you right again like the Bible. It it will revive your soul. So the psalmist writes this in Psalm 119. Let me read this. How can a young man or woman, how can a young person keep their way pure by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so if you want to live according to God's will, then you can't you can't stray from his commandments. Number six, it will train you for the future. The idea of training is very simple. It will build you up. You know what I hate about lifting weights? I really wish you could go into a gym once a month and just get it all done. Just lift every bar they've got and be done. But in order for it to make any difference, they actually want you to do it every day. You have to do it consistently. You have to introduce pain into your life on a regular basis for it to have any effect. In order to build up physical muscle, it requires consistency and time. And there is no shortcut to spiritual growth either. When Paul says that it is helpful for training, it means that over the course of time, you will become more uh, solid spiritually. More firm spiritually if you will commit to something consistently over time. And so just based on your personality, uh, some of you in this room, you're just very regimented people. Maybe you spent some time in the military. Maybe that's just the way you were from the time you were born. You never start a book without finishing a book. You never start a program without finishing a program. Others in this room that are more human like me have books with bookmarks halfway through all on your shelves. And it's more difficult for you to stay tethered to a program or to structure. That's one of the greatest challenges of my life, staying committed to a structure. But wherever you are in that, 
I think knowing yourself is a big piece of it. But knowing that according to my personality, I have to continue to bring the word into my life. How are you going to do that? The burden's on you. And so here's what I want to do. The Bible, the Bible says in James 5.16, confess your sins one to another and you'll be healed. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to turn to someone and confess where you are on this very subject. Are you ready for that? Here's how I want you to do it. On a scale of 1 to 10, where are you on the spectrum? A 1 is you can't remember the last time you read the Bible on your own that wasn't in church. And if you are a 1 and you lie about it, you're in God's house. So you hear that? Just admit where you are. Nobody's going to judge you for that. No judgment zone. And a 10 would be, I can't remember the last day I didn't do my quiet time uh, or spend time in Scripture. Probably very few people are there, but there might be a few in 10. So what number would you give yourself? You got it in your mind? All right, now I want you to turn to the person next to you and confess what your number is and why. You've got one minute. Go. Just tell somebody. It's got power in it. Confession. All right. So I'm not going to embarrass or single anybody out. I'm even going to lump these together to to spare you your embarrassment. But if you're under five and you would just confess that you're being authentic, you're under five right now in the season of your life. Would you just lift your hand? You're under five. Looks like about half the room. Okay. Here's what I want to suggest to you. There's lots of different ways to read the Bible. And let me just give you a couple of ways that I have found as a pastor that people like to read the Bible. There are some of you that can read the Bible all the way through. Lindley is amazing at this. She just finished the Old Testament, word for word, line by line. And she's really good at being structured. Um, That always stops for me in Leviticus. Uh, There's certain parts of the Old Testament that are just difficult. So you can choose a reading plan. And if you're a person that responds well to reading plans, you can look online. There's a lot of different reading plans. I want to ask you over the next 30 days to join me on a challenge. I just want you to make a commitment today. For the next 30 days, you're going to be in your Bible every day. A reading plan is one way to do it. A second way to do it is to pick a book of the Bible you've always been fascinated in and for 30 days commit to reading that book over and over again until it really begins to saturate and make its way into your life. Uh, Maybe pick one of the New Testament epistles, something very practical like James or something like Philippians that is helpful or Psalms. I'm going to just live in a book for 30 days. Another way to do it is the season of Advent is coming up. And it's a great way to study the coming of Christ. And there's lots of Advent resources. Lifeway has three or four really fantastic ones that you might say, as a family, we're going to celebrate Advent. And we're going to every day have just a devotional time about Christmas that's coming up. Uh, and I'm going, to, I'm going to do that and dedicate myself to that. Another way to do it, and finally, is Lifeway creates this Bible, and others have done it too, that it's a note-taking Bible. This one's called the Legacy Note-Taking Bible. And a friend of mine, his son was going off to college, 
and spent a year trying to put notes on every single page of the, of the legacy note-taking Bible so that his son would have some devotional thoughts from his father as he went off to school. Really cool idea. So maybe you would say, I'm going to fill up the notes in the margin of a note-taking Bible. But I just want everyone in the room to feel some conviction and to feel a challenge. That if the Bible says that one of the most important things we do throughout our life is stay, stay true to Scripture, how are you going to pro- apply that? Jesus said, blessed are those who hear these words of mine and then go and put them into practice. How are you going to put that into practice? Let's pray together. Lord, I lift up everybody in this room having no idea where they are on this topic. I know in my own life, the only thing that's been consistent is my inconsistency. And so, Lord, regularly I need this challenge. I need this sermon today. Father, for those in the room who have been through a season of hurt or even busyness or just struggle and have wandered away from the word, Lord, I pray that today would be a motivational moment to get closer to God through his word, to hear his voice on a regular basis. I pray for young people in the room, even my own kids in the room, Lord, that they would develop a burden on their own to want to study the Bible. And it wouldn't be something that their parents are mandating, but you just create a hunger and a thirst for all of our teenagers in the room that that need that consistency and that anger in their life of Scripture. I pray for people in the room who are making huge decisions about career or college or who they're going to marry. Lord, I pray that, that in the next 30 days they would hear your voice as they submit to the Scriptures and begin to sense your direction as you, as you say that your word is trained useful for training us in the way of righteousness. And Lord, I pray for anybody in this room who's never received Christ or anybody watching online that maybe something I've said today has awakened in them a desire for spiritual growth. They recognize there's a void or an emptiness in their life. And Lord, even now they they feel a burden to call out and receive Christ as Lord and Savior and to begin receiving his word. And if that's you today, I just want to invite you to call out to Jesus even now and say, Lord Jesus, I invite you into my heart. Today I know I need to be saved. I know I need what the word says. I accept what you did on the cross for my sins. Make me a disciple. Make me a learner. Make me a child. Today I receive you into my life. Lord, if there's anybody here that received Christ, I pray that they would reach out to someone in this room and express that decision publicly. That, that they could begin to be encouraged in their faith and grow spiritually. And for the rest of us, Lord, who already know you, give us a heart to want to read and study the Bible. Give us a heart to want to know you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.